0: Engaging millennials in the higher ed classroom. This is Teaching in Higher Ed, episode 13. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Thanks for joining us on episode 13 of Teaching in Higher Ed. I am so pleased to be able to welcome a friend, a former colleague, and someone I still just treasure being able to be in touch with. Today, we are joined by Chip Espinoza. Chip is the Director of Organizational Psychology at Concordia University. He is an author. He is a trainer. He is a speaker. He is, I love this description on your website. He is someone who helps organizations become worthy of human habitation.
1: Yeah, that's something worth doing.
0: I love it. And so today we're going to talk about not just to help organizations become worthy of human habitation, but help classrooms in higher ed be worthy of the students who join us there. And today we're going to be talking about a generational cohort called the millennials, but I'm going to encourage you to keep listening, even if you don't necessarily have the largest population in your program as millennials. So, so Chip, tell us a little about, about what the millennials are, but also why we need to care about that generational cohort, even if perhaps our students are a bit older.
1: Well, millennials are people born basically between 1980, 2001, 2002. Uh, if you look at demographers, they'll put them all the way as early as 78 and, um, as late as, you know, being born in 2000. And I mean, uh, you know, 2003 at the end. So you'll find that there's sentient boundaries. So it's, they're not hard and fast. You you know, we, whenever we talk about generational analysis, we're doing a lot of generalization. And Mm -hmm. so one thing I want the audience to know right up front is that we're not saying that all these people are the same just because they're the same age, but perception of them creates a reality. And a lot of faculty have a perception of what a millennial is that creates the way they interact with them. And that's not always a good thing. And so I'm looking forward. Uh, What I always like to say about this topic is my, my desire is not to have a conversation about millennials, but I want to have a conversation with millennials. Uh, I don't want to have a conversation about teaching, but I want to have a conversation with teachers in the sense that we understand each other.
0: I really love that. Thank you so much. I think about, there was a book called quiet, the Power of Introversion in a World That Won't Stop Talking. Susan <laughs> Cain is the author. And my husband, Dave, is would be a self-described introvert. And he read that book and just loved so much that he was able to really identify. And no, we, don't, we can't divide the entire group into extroverts right, and introverts. Right. But to the extent that when we have noticed patterns right. and trends... Then that does help us think a little bit differently, perhaps, about our teaching. And speaking about teaching differently, you have the unique experience of having taught with people before we had this designated uh, generational cohort called Millennials, and right. then after, so I wonder if you might just snap a little picture or maybe a video of your classroom in the early nineties, and then tell me about your classroom right now today. Okay.
1: Well, one of the things that got me interested in writing, managing the millennials, I, I so much loved my students. Um, and I thought, boy, they're, they're having kind of a, a burn entry into work, uh, mm-hmm. culture shock, um, f- feeling like it wasn't all that they wanted it to be. And so I thought, how can I help them? I thought one of the best ways to do it was help managers to understand them. Because what I noticed in the 1990s when I had a student walk into class, and many of you will relate to this out there, is you'd hand out a syllabus, nobody would even look at it. They would just throw it in their backpack Mm -hmm. and you would start by talking. In the 2000s, you hand out a syllabus, they have a red pen in their hand, they're going line by line, they've got their attorney on speed dial. And they're saying, is a 10 to 12 page midterm, is 10 pages a C and 12 pages an A? One thing that millennials think is that, that quality and quantity are equal. Uh, another thing is because they've been raised in a participative kind of society, particularly at home, a, a pendulum has shifted, I think, from training to nurturing from a parenting model. Uh, I've got. Doctor Spock, you can read him, and I think he's he's the one who d- created all of it. Huh. But but one of the things to them, and is- and by
0: the way, he's not talking about Star Trek.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, thank, thank you, thank you, Bonnie. Okay, that, that dates me a little bit.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't date. You. <laughs> um, I came in late to parenting, so it's okay, funny. okay. There you go. There you go.
1: But the the thing is, the difference between two thousands and nineties is that in the two thousands, my students felt everything was negotiable. Hmm. That a syllabus hmm. was a starting point. You'd sign three books and, hey, three, three books, that's too much reading for two units, you know, or, or, you know back in the day when you have a two-unit class. And so you would find that they really felt like, now for me, I love that dialogue and that interaction. Mm-hmm. And kind of one of the transferable things that I learned in my research for managing and that correlates to teaching is that the real effective people at engaging this population invite them to challenge them mm. and question them. Okay, And if you're a person that's put off by that, like many of my colleagues, to sit around and listen in a faculty room to what they think and how they feel, many of them say things like, I got to get out of this. Things have changed. Mm -hmm. I'm not having fun. I don't get these, you know, all that kind of stuff. But rather than really step back and say, what do I need to do to be more effective? Where do I need to adapt? Or what is it about them that bothers me today?
0: And I think one thing that can be helpful too, Chip, is to say that it isn't like we necessarily ourselves are so evolved that we're immune from those frustrations. Let's just get it on the table. What are some of the frustrations of the students coming in
1: (laughs) today? I got to tell you, this is the best. I'm teaching a class where my book is the textbook. You talk about a perfect gig, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going around the table. Now, I have a mixed audience. Now, for many of you out there that you may have people that aren't millennials in your class, you may be teaching... Uh, cohort style or whatever, I had a class that was mixed from baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials. Mm. And so I asked the question the second night of class about what did you think of the book that you had to read? <laughs> and so it goes around and everybody's- and,
0: and Remember this guy? Yeah, in it, my pictures. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and I get to this, this one young lady and I love her dearly. And she goes, well, I think it's a bunch of hogwash. Well, you should have seen the body language of everybody around the table, particularly the baby boomer and the Xers to go, how could you ever do? This? So they start defending, you know, well, I loved it. I thought, And I started laughing and I said, I asked her a question and she answered it honestly. She felt like I was asking an authentic question and she gave an authentic answer. Now, for us, we all know that we're supposed to kind of you know, juice each other, tell each other what we want. When, you know, when the boss says, what do you think of that idea? Oh, love it, boss. Yeah. But this generation, when they're really asked a question, they'll respond authentically. I, it's refreshing. I like it.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: by the end of the class, here's where I challenged her. And, and, and for you profs out there, you'll relate. I said, okay, so what's your theoretical framework for saying it's hogwash?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she goes, well, I don't have one. And I said, well, then by the end of this class... I want you to have one. I say, now I've got two or three, but I want you to go find out what they are.
0: Yeah. I had I had sort of I hadn't thought of this until you just said that, but I had I, I tend to be very sensitive to remarks that are I mean racist. Right. right. <laughs> and so there was a, this was a small group setting with an individual. It was his third try through my class. He had not passed two times prior at one point he had dropped out before the drop date, whatever, but, right. but this was, and so, so definitely not comfortable with a, a woman in a position of power either. There were some issues there, but he was, I'm trying to get them in the principles of marketing class to be comfortable speaking in, in professional terms about people of different ethnicities. Right. And so I'm trying to teach them you know, the, the, the proper words to use and the proper descriptors. And so we're going to say things like, Tend to purchase more or tend to, th- those right. kinds of things that will help us be able to speak about different demographics in the marketing profession. And I'm not even going to repeat what he said because it's just not worth it. But he said a very um, extremely rude thing about why a particular population of people was growing, having to do with them being lazy and they just lay around in bed all day. That's why they're growing. I, I wink, wink. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I mean, there were a couple dynamics going on. I'm furious. But I also know he wants me to be furious. Right. And then the other thing that's going on is the, the couple of students who were with him to present the project are just horrified. Yeah. And, and waiting to have, so I said, I, I ha, so, so do you have any evidence to support? I mean, where's the, so laziness, do you have anything to back that up? I, I ignored the right. other remark. No, I don't. Well, my recommendation would be in a professional setting. That's not something that you're going to want to say. Because it's going to be offensive whether or not the person is that particular. So I, we took it that way. So I, I think, that, I mean, we're sort of talking about two different things here right. in terms of I think he was just trying to get a reaction. I don't think the woman maybe was trying to necessarily get a reaction. Out no, either. not at
1: all. She was being authentic. She was saying, I, I you know, <laughs> I don't like it. And yeah. so it was great by the end. And, and we had a lot of fun with that. And yeah. it, and she understood the point. At the, at the end of it is to, to understand that, you know, to just simply disagree with something, which is is a thing that I think puts people off in particularly academics where we have this pushback or this, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to learn this? I don't like this. This book is old. Yeah. You know, and we're saying, okay, well, this is poetry. You know, the book may be old. This is ancient literature. The book's got to be old. (laughs) Sort of the
0: nature of it. You were talking about your classroom in the early 90s and then your classroom now, you're teaching this very semester. So, because one of the other things is that when someone has a question... They're not necessarily going to look to you, although the boomers will, but, but it will tend to be that the millennials will just pop out the smartphone, right? So talk right. about access to information and where subject matter experts come in. Well,
1: I, it's so interesting because I think a lot of faculty um, feel devalued, maybe ignored, maybe not respected in the sense that millennials are the first generation that has not needed an authority figure to access information. So they'll exhaust themselves looking everywhere for an answer. And so when they get in the classroom and they're not asking a faculty, you know, what about this? Or tell me about this or tell me about your experience. um, It it almost appears as if they don't value that faculty or they don't, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't think that they know as much as what the student already knows.
0: And they really candidly don't. I mean, they're not looking to us as, I value you because you're an expert. Because expertise is seen as at least informational expertise right. is a commodity. I can right. get the information anywhere. Well, but what what do they look to us? How do we get their higher regard and respect that that is helpful in the classroom to gain?
1: Well, I tell you, um, and we talked earlier in the green room about this in the sense that you know we talk early about faculty or professors. We we had the sage on the stage metaphor. Uh, you come with all the information, the knowledge, you lecture, and then they tell you back what, what you told them, and mm-hmm. you determine whether they got it or not. And then we moved, uh, a paper was written in 1990, 1991 by Allison King. And Allison uh, said that we're moving, 21st century education is moving away from the sage on the stage to guide on the side. And I think now being in the 21st century, we are moving from guide on the side. To learning with. Mm. Now, everybody grab your dentures because I don't mean that anybody can be in the classroom and teach. There, There's a value to our expertise, our preparation. I understand that's a price of admission to what we do. But I think to really connect with this generation is to learn with them, be curious with them, investigate with them, challenge with them. But the minute that, that um, You get in and you don't participate in that process, then it's, they're not as engaged.
0: I love that you talk about that because I was thinking that last semester when I was teaching a class I had, I talked about, how business ideas are formed from problems and and all of this. and then and then we started looking at how do businesses get started. And so I was sharing with them about the website called Kickstarter, which I understand you have a Kickstarter, by the way, which I will put a link yeah, to in yeah. my show notes. Let's plug that <laughs> absolutely. So i'll put the I'll put the Kickstarter there. But you know some students haven't haven't yet heard of Kickstarter. But it's probably not going to be, you're going to have zero students in the class today that won't have heard of it. I mean, I think even if it's just as silly as those, um, the guy that was making the mac and cheese or the potato salad and got 30 grand or something for for that. But I had a student in there and he starts, oh, did you see the one about this? I said, no, I didn't see it. Let's go look together. So actually embracing the fact that we can bring the technology into the class, but we can do it together. I tend to, in most classes, not allow laptops. Not because I don't like technology, but my classes are blended. So their laptop type of learning would happen at their own pace, more independent learning. And when we come together face to face, I want us to be engaging more face to face. But I mean, if, if, if we're doing research together, then we bring the laptops. But if what we're doing together is being curious learners together case studies, that type of thing, then we're going to engage more face to face. So at any rate, it was so fun, though. Just I hadn't seen it. Let's go look on Kickstarter. And it brought such life to that classroom. That young man feels so valued. The other students get they're interested now. I, I had students emailing me later. Oh, I found this other one. That was up there. I mean, it's just, it's so neat when we can be curious together. I don't have to know every campaign that's on Kickstarter. How could a person? right? And they get to go follow their own passions and interests because up there, there were albums that were being launched and they could go, if they're interested in the music industry, that right. kind of thing. And independent movies that are being produced up there, getting funded. So it was just, it was well, kind of and, I, and I like
1: that you brought that example up because, you know, it, it's not about, I, I'll never forget this, you know our university got a multimillion dollar grant back in the day to get, um, fi mm. and in the faculty meeting the week after we're all having the discussion about turning it off. And it, it was, it was this either, you know, this, this on off conversation rather than let's discuss where its value is in, in our pedagogy. And and so in some cases, it's totally appropriate to have it. And others, you may not want to have it. It's not a matter of whether it should be there or not it should be there. It's about what is the purpose? What are we trying to accomplish?
0: I, I think back to, we talk about our frustrations. Part of why I do have that as my most of the time rule in the classroom is out of just that feeling of complete disrespect and even, I mean, even for myself, are you kidding me? If I sit in a faculty meeting and I'm, this particular agenda item is not interesting to me, and I've got something in front of right. me, you think I don't go browsing? I mean, we're right, all, exactly. we're all susceptible to it if we have one of those. But in it's our okay head. if we do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But so that frustration of just feeling disrespected and disconnected, and it is a way to to disconnect. And some other colleagues who may not teach in a even a say a guide on the side yeah, kind of right. format are reinforcing that it's okay to remain detached because they're pretty detached too. Right. So that frustration of feeling that disrespect, I used to, in, in my earlier teaching, I would kind of meet that with anger. And that rule would be a little bit more about, I'm going to show you who's in charge and I'm going to control Right. you into doing things my way. And I have found uh, <laughs> the students <laughs> that have had me as a professor or are or, or still connected with me go, you are so different as a parent. Now you're so much mellow. You were way harder <laughs> on us <laughs> when you had no. us. But it really did kind of mellow. I mean, it's silly as that sounds. It did mellow me out, I think in a good way, because now I still have the same rule But I just I'm much more cheerful to go, oh, Johnny, we're not going to need our laptop today because today we're doing this. But actually to explain to them why. And I actually show them a little thing about the brain. We talk about brain synapses and what is actually going. I, I value your time so much that I don't want you to have to do all that learning outside the classroom. Let's actually learn in the classroom. Well, that's, you're not gonna learn yeah, that and much. And that's perfect. And yeah. what you're
1: talking about, because for them, what they think, a high value for them where they think their brains are different than ours, they really think they've evolved, you know, so a 20-year evolution here <laughs> that their brain is better, yeah. that, that they're better uh, multitaskers. Mm-hmm. And you're explaining to them, that's great. You're showing big picture, yeah. but but they don't see it as being disruptive. They don't see it as being disrespectful. They're just saying, hey, I can do it all at once. And you're complaining Maybe because you can't, and and that's what becomes problematic.
0: One of the other things I love too is that we can use that Japanese form of martial arts called Aikido, that says instead of matching force with force, we yes. use the force. Yeah, perfect. That was a Star Wars reference. Yeah. We've got Star Trek, check right. Star Wars, it's check. But we use the force of the opponents. I uh, uh, think not to win, but actually, the it's it's
1: moving with foundationed
0: in creating more peace.
1: Right. You don't, you don't want your adversary to be harmed.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I, that's why I love, I just use a lot in classrooms, poll everywhere, which is a great text-based thing. So instead of trying to get you to put your phone away, I go get your phone out. Right. All right. So we're going to ask you this question. What do you think? And you can see them all. And it's, so it's using something that to me used to be the enemy and creating it to a powerful force of learning because then I get real-time feedback and also they get real-time feedback. And I know actually you have something to talk about with the value of that more immediate feedback. So talk a little bit about the millennials, their tendency toward Feedback and, and, and some of the, the things that come up in the classroom.
1: Okay, but first I have to say, I always envied you that you were so far ahead of me in technology. <laughs> I used to love what you were doing. But anyway, so the, the feedback part of it that we're talking about is, and you'll notice this if you've been in the classroom, in the sense of, um, you know, the, a student may say, hey, I need an extra three days on this paper, extra four days. You know, mom's in the hospital, and, you know, my dog got laid off or whatever the excuse is. <laughs> And so you go. Okay, I'll give you three or four days. They turn it in at midnight on that fourth day, and then they text you or they call you or not call you. Never would they call you, but they would email you at seven a.m. Going, have you graded my paper yet? You know. So, mm-hmm. on on one side, what they want is immediacy of feedback. They want tons of feedback. And and one of the things I think is difficult for us is that the feedback they want is, is, is positive. You know, it's hard for any of us to get negative feedback. And and once again, that's one of those places where you say, you know, I see value in your work, you know, and I'm giving this feedback because I think that you can really do more. Um, And a lot of students, I'll tell them, you know, if if you don't get a lot of comments in my paper, it's, you know, could be just because I don't think you can do better. So, and Mm -hmm. sometimes maybe it's because it's perfect.
0: A a research area of interest for me that I'm not sure if it'll go anywhere is the idea of either written or typed feedback versus the voice feedback. Yeah, I think that's great. A lot of places of of technology, whether it's iAnnotate or inside of turnitin.com is the ability to add your voice. And I've had so many students say... That that kind of feedback, and it's not just me. I mean, I've heard, I've heard it from other professors too, who use that word that the students, it really resonates with them because you can be very direct and blunt, but they hear the care in your voice is what they tell me.
1: Yeah. And the intonation, I have, I have a, a colleague who does that and it, yeah, I agree with you. I think that would be a great research topic.
0: So this is the time in the show when we normally do recommendations, but I'm watching the clock and I'm going to make my recommendation all about you. Would you just for our recommendations part, tell us about your books, tell us about what resources are available both to professors, but also that they could recommend to their students who were millennials or leading millennials. Tell us a little bit about what resources and we'll we'll make this the recommendation portion of the show.
1: Well, great. I'm going to start with my most recent book, Millennials at Work. There's a website uh, www.millennialsatwork.com. You can get the book there. You can get it at amazon.com as well. But millennials at work has a quiz on it for millennials to take. That's kind of fun. And you can direct your students to take that to see where they, you know, they rate on that. Uh, we also have the Kickstarter campaign and that is really looking at trying to get the book in his hands as many millennials as we can. Uh, some that may not have the wherewithal to be able to purchase the book. Um, and also, uh, we found that uh, one of the biggest buyers right now are career centers, career development at universities um, are recommending it in, in buying them to give to their students that are working in their mentoring programs and those kinds of things. So that's where I would send you. And, and if you're really interested in trying to understand the intrinsic values of millennials that kind of drive them from just an overall and in their interaction My book, uh, Managing the Millennials, probably for most any educator, you could pick it up and you could see it clearly and make your own kind of um, application of it.
0: Yeah, that's great. And is there anything else that you wanted to share in the recommendations before we close off the show?
1: Well, I bought a Roomba that vacuums your house (laughs) because I adopted a Labrador retriever that uh, seems to shed uh, more hair than, boy, my goodness. So but that the only problem is it kicks on like at 1 a.m. and just <laughs> gets stuck against the door.
0: You are the only person I've actually met who owns one. And I'm so intrigued by them. But I've only ever seen them on video. I've never seen them in person. So you're going to have invite to invite us you over. Have to come over. <laughs> but you already know that our two and a half year old son has taken to eating dinner like a doggy under the, oh, under the table Perfect. with getting your table scraps. So you have to set the table for him under your table.
1: Well, maybe you could ride it around the house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, he would love that. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's Teaching in Higher Ed podcast. If you would like to get the show notes and comment and engage in this conversation about engaging millennials in the classroom, you can get to the show notes at teachinginhighered.com slash 13. And also, I encourage you to sign up for our weekly updates because you don't have to then remember to download the notes with all the great links for today's podcast. They will come into your inbox. So go to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. You'll get the show notes and you'll also get a weekly article about teaching and you'll get a free educational technology essentials ebook. All of that. I feel like nice. You will not, however, get a free Roomba. That's where we have to draw the line, <laughs> but it's a good idea. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Chip, for being here.